the tech team is you, you say, am I on? And then they don't realise that. Thanks, Tim. For those listening online, Tim Kemp, the tech guy, has just been trying to pull my leg, so I apologise for that. <laughs> my name's Dan, uh, I'm uh, part of the leadership team here at Jubilee. It's great to have you with us this morning. Um, we are uh, in our series at the moment looking at, called Habits of Grace, looking at spiritual disciplines and how we find Jesus. And um, in preparation, I, uh, th- this last week I've actually been on the, the Isle of Wight um, at our Regions Beyond uh, Church Leaders Conference. We had a great time. I'd never been before. Um, and it was a great time away. And I had in mind this message. And uh, I was planning all week to find different slots during the mornings and during the meetings to write this. And it came to returning on uh, Friday and uh, still had not written it. I thought, don't worry, I've got Friday night. And so Friday afternoon, I arrived at Clough Road Fire Station uh, in order to give blood. Uh, for some reason, they use that venue. So I arrived to give blood. And um, I-, I walked in, and the-, the member of staff behind the desk just casually mentioned, we're running 25 to 30 minutes behind schedule. So I love it. You know when they just nicely say it and then smile at you, and you don't really know how to respond. But I, uh, so I sat down amongst a lot of other people who were looking rather fed up. People were tutting and looking at their watches, and 25 minutes came and went, and I was still sat there, and, and 30 minutes, and 40 minutes, and 45. And then 50 minutes after my appointment uh, was due, I was finally seen. And throughout that time, all I could think about was the jobs that I still had to do. This sermon that I had to write, the emails that were uh, not dealt with yet, my uh, ever-growing jobs list. And so rather than uh, spending this 50 minutes resting and enjoying 50 minutes, uh, I instead pulled out my mobile phone. I went on my emails, I was writing emails, I was refreshing my Twitter feed, it was transfer deadline day, so I was on Sky Sports News checking to see who Hull City had sold, and um, I'm reading news articles, and I looked around me, and there was about 15 other people. That's what is that? Is that? Sorry. Down? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and I looked around, and there's about I was I was sat in this seat at the front, and there was rows of chairs behind me, and I turned around, and I realised there was about 15 other people who were all on their phones as well. Show, just a show of hands. Who who has used one of these this morning? Who has used a mobile phone this morning? Keep your hands up. If you've used it since the service began, oh, whatever, whatever. And your excuse is that you've got a Bible app, is it? Yeah? Okay. I, I recently read an article that says that, um, that between 7 and 16-year-olds, they spend an average of 3 hours and 20 minutes per day on their phones. That uh, it's 57% of young people go to bed with their phones next to them. That uh, 42% of young people never turn their phones off and never leave the house without it. What about adults? Well, apparently 77% of us, at the point that we realise we are bored, we pick up our mobile phones. It's the first thing we do. 77% of us cannot be bored for any amount of time that we pick up one of these. I read an article in the uh, New York Times by a a man called Andrew Sullivan, and he he entitled it, I Used to Be Human. 
And he, and he said in his article, just look around you at the people crouched over their phones as they walk the streets or drive their cars or walk their dogs or play with their children. Observe yourself in a line for coffee or a quick work break or even just going to the bathroom. Visit an airport and see the sea of crane necks and dead eyes. We have gone from looking up and around to constantly looking down. Now, don't worry, I'm not attacking technology today. I've got a phone, I use my phone, I'm speaking to you and my notes are on an iPad. I'm not attacking technology. But John Mark Homer, an American pastor, he comments about the technical age that we live in and he says this, the great threat isn't the loss of quiet, but the digital age is robbing us of the ability to be present. Present with others, present in the moment and present with God. We live in a world that is constantly busy. You may not be a person who uses your phone much, but you only need to observe the world around you to know that we, we are a busy people. We like to drive fast. We hate waiting. We have fast food. We spend what we have quickly. In a busy world, we have a danger of be missing the chance to be present. As John Comer puts it, present with others, present in the moment, but present with God. Because when we slow down, we see life differently. We notice the people that we would normally walk quickly past. We enjoy the beauty of the creation around us. And as we carry on our series today looking at habits of grace, that we have this invitation that Jesus gives us to draw near to him, to be present with him. Uh, this intimate relationship in one which he, we, we learn who Jesus is and he changes us. And from that place, we are able to go and change the world around us. Today, we are looking at the disciplines of silence and solitude. Now, immediately you might be put off, you might be thinking, oh, this, it's not for me, silence and solitude, we're not trying to create a whole bunch of monks. But hopefully, as you see these two disciplines you will see that it's not actually about being silent and alone, but it's actually about being present with God. In the busyness of life, God invites us to be present with him in a way which will transform our lives. And so what do I mean by silence and solitude? Well, well firstly, silence is just the absence of noise. There's an external silence which is fairly simple. You know, get away from people, mute your TV, turn off your phone. But there's also this internal silence. You see, you can do all of those things and you can sit in silence and you can know those moments when you sit in silence but your mind is anything but silent as it races and lots of thoughts about what you should be doing or the anxieties of life. This, there's an internal silence which, where we are able to rest and enjoy being present with God. Even in the noisiest environments, we feel silence of mind and feel at rest. That's inward silence. And then there's solitude, which is getting away from the noise and spending time alone. You can't have silence without solitude, which is why I put these two together today. And in Jesus, we find him demonstrating both beautifully. Before he starts his ministry, we find him 40 days he spends alone in the desert, experiencing silence and solitude. Before he chooses the 12 disciples, he spends the entire night in solitude in the hills, when he hears of John the Baptist's death, he withdraws and spends time in solitude. He regularly withdraws for times of prayer. 
He heads to the hills. He tells us he goes up to the mountains and eventually he experiences the ultimate solitude in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death. So why did Jesus demonstrate and value silence and solitude so much? Why is this discipline so important to us? Well, we're going to turn to our main passage, which is in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 35 to 39. It's going to be up on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there and keep it in front of you. This is Mark 1, 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we just thank you that you have given us your word so that we can come to know you more. That you say your word is alive and active. That your word changes us and transforms us. That when we see who you are and when we see who we are, uh, to be with you is to be changed. And so, Lord, we just, as we, we, as we read these words, as we study these scriptures, Lord, I, I pray that what you would do in our hearts would be more than just gaining some information, but it would deeply transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We read in Genesis that God creates Adam and he says it's not good for Adam to be alone. So he creates Eve. There is this idea that we are created for community. You know, from the beginning, we see the Trinity, we see Father, Son, and we see Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect community. Whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, we all need community. Loneliness, it's one of the biggest issues in our country today. Lonely people, I read some research, and lonely people are more likely to suffer from dementia, heart disease, and depression, with reports saying loneliness can increase your risk of death by 29%. There are 1.2 million chronically lonely older people in the UK, with half a million older people saying that they can go at least five days a week without seeing or speaking to anyone at all. Research by Sense showed that 50% of disabled people are lonely on any given day. We need community, and the church has the chance to be the answer. So in a time of such loneliness, why am I speaking about silence and solitude? Well, loneliness and noisy, busy lives are not the only alternative. Jesus invites us from loneliness to solitude. You see, when we fear being alone... When we fear being alone, we, we want to avoid at all costs silence and solitude. But if we cultivate solitude in our lives, then we realize that we are never alone because God is with us. We can enjoy the benefits of community, but then when we step away from people and we find ourselves alone, we have the chance to draw near to God. Loneliness is this inner emptiness, but solitude is then inner fulfillment. 
Through the discipline of solitude, we find this freedom to be alone. Not in order to be away from people, but in order to experience an intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Silence and solitude is not about going introverts. Yes, I don't have to spend time with people. Solitude is about being able to withdraw from people and spend time with God so we can go back to people having been changed. In our passage in Mark 1, it tells us very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In this place of solitude, Jesus experiences intimacy with his heavenly father. He draws to a place free from distraction so that he could pray. And in the silence, he hears God's voice. Jesus instructs us in John 15, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is this invitation to get away from the noise of life and abide in him. Relax into his goodness. Let him speak to you and hear what he has to say. We can't be truly fruitful unless we are spending time with Jesus in intimacy and being changed by him. And you know what? Spending time with God is uncomfortable because as we spend time with God, we see who God is, but we also see how far short we fall of his perfect standard. The truth of who we really are. Our character comes out as we spend time with God, but in that place, God begins to change us. When I'm not living in a way that honours God, then, then I, I want to avoid God at all costs. We see it with Adam and Eve in the garden. It says they first sin and then they want to run away. They want to avoid God. They hide from him. And so often I know in my life, when I am not living as God wants me to, I want to run away. I don't want to spend time in silence and solitude. I don't want to spend time reading my Bible. I don't want to spend time in prayer because if I do those things, I will be confronted with the change that God wants to do in me. But you know what the reality is? That our, what is in our hearts always comes out. Do we allow it to leak out and cause damage to those around us and ourselves? Or do we allow it to come out in this safe place with our Heavenly Father who can transform and change us? Healing, growth, change and freedom happen when we spend time with God. David Mathis, he wrote the book Habits of Grace, which we took the title from. He says this, One of the benefits of silence is simply searching the depths of our soul, asking what blind spots have become in the rush of everyday life. In the busyness, is there anything important I'm neglecting? How am I doing in my various roles and where do I need to refocus? As we listen to God, he highlights areas in our life that he wants to work in and change. Jesus spent time with God in solitude so he could embrace the intimacy with God. It tells us that as he withdraws, his disciples, they want to go, they go and try and find him. It tells us in verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus has just started his ministry. He is a big success. A few verses earlier, we read that early at sunset, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. 
He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus is in great demand. He has the whole attention of the city in Capernaum. This is God. He has become man. He is getting all the attention that he deserves. He is a hit. And his disciples tell him, everyone is looking for you. How would you respond? I've been thinking about it this week. He has the whole attention of the city. Everyone is looking for him. Do you know what I would do? I would go straight back into the city. I would carry on healing the sick. I would carry on casting out demons. I would let them gather around me and celebrate the great Dan Fryer. I'm thinking book release. I'm thinking preaching tour. I'm thinking bit of merchandise maybe. I would. would, the The crowds are adoring me. Oh, come on, I'll go back. Jesus has the chance to be adored, but it says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. You know, the more high profile Jesus becomes, the more he withdraws. We find that throughout scripture. Yet we do the opposite. It's easy for us to assume that Jesus had fewer pressures than we do. It's nice Jesus could sneak away and pray, but he didn't have to be up for work at seven. He didn't have kids to feed. He didn't have essay deadlines. He didn't have those emails or the business meeting. Now, it's true that we live in a different time and a different culture, but we must not think that Jesus didn't find himself busy. He had disciples following him. He had crowds desperate for his attention. Yes, he didn't have bills to pay, but he had lepers wanting to be healed. He didn't have children screaming, but he had demons calling him by name. Yet he was able, in that busyness, to withdraw. I'll be honest with you, some mornings I get up, I don't know if you're the same, I get up and and, and I reflect, I think, I've got so much to do today, have I even got time to spend some time in prayer? So often, what is wrong with me? I'm so busy, I'm like, I don't know if I've got time to do this. Why was Jesus able to withdraw? Well, because he was busy, but he was only busy doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was busy, but never in a sinful way. Never in a way which made him frantic, made him anxious, irritable, proud, distracted. And it meant that while everyone was waiting for him, he could get up and go and pray. His disciples didn't understand it. But Jesus replies to them, to the disciples, let us go somewhere else. Jesus understood what God had called him to. He knew that he had human limitations at this point, so he couldn't do it all, but he knew exactly what God was asking him to do. He was not driven by the needs of others. He was not driven by approval of man or expectations, but he was driven by the spirit and his God-given mission. You know, there was so much that Jesus could have been doing. While he was taking time away, which we see he did time and time again, he could have been healing people. He could have been preaching the gospel. He could have been seeing people saved. His ministry only lasted three years. Wasn't it a waste spending those times in prayer? Not at all. Because he trusted God. He knew what God had called him to. He didn't bow to the pressures of the world. He didn't try and take control and try and fix everything. And you know, one of the reasons that we can barely remain silent is because it makes us feel so helpless. If I'm not there, what might happen? If I don't help, who will? If my phone is off or I take a day off, what will happen if people need me? If we are to be silent, 
We need to trust that it is God who is in control. God will take control, but we, he will never take control if we don't let him, if we don't trust him. Silence and solitude, they're, they're intimately related to trust. In being silent, in taking ourselves away, we demonstrate that we trust God to be in control. You know, if you can't rest, if you can't turn your phone off, if you can't take a day off, then it's a trust issue. The invitation found in silence and solitude is to give up our need to be in control and to recognize who God is. Just to say, if you can't turn your phone off at night, I'll buy you an alarm clock, okay? If you take your phone because it's your alarm clock, I'll buy you an alarm clock. And the best thing we did was put a landline in because it meant if there is a real emergency, people can call me on my landline. That's just a throwaway. That was not in my notes. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus spends time with God and we don't know what he prayed about. We don't know if he heard God speak, but we know that he was changed when he had finished. He had a new clarity about what was next. He reminds his disciples of his calling. He is able to leave the crowds behind and step into what God had for him next. When we take time to be silent, when we spend time in solitude, then we are able to hear God speak. You know, as we pray, as we study scripture, we be presented with the opportunity to be obedient. You know, we have the joy to partner with God in the mission that he has called us to. He could do it all by himself, but for some reason, God wants to use his church. We don't understand it, but what a privilege. If we never spend time listening to God, then we will never be people who can fully step into the purposes that he has for us. I don't want to be a church who do things because it's a good idea or because we always have done. I don't want to be a church who do things because they make sense. I want to be a church of radical disciples who hear the voice of God and are obedient. Do you? In silence and solitude, we get to hear God speak. What a privilege. That the creators of the heavens and the earth, he wants to speak to us. Are we willing to listen? He is longing to reveal himself to us. Will we make time to hear his voice? In Jesus, we find this man who is able to fully embrace silence and solitude so that he can embrace intimacy with God, so he can demonstrate trust, and so he can embrace obedience. So how can we embrace silence and solitude? This is where we get really practical before we finish. Firstly, take advantage of the little moments in your day. Decide to take a moment in bed before you get up to reflect on who God is and thank him. You know, choose to keep your phone off for five extra minutes and pray ahead of the day. Choose to sit in silence and listen to God rather than turning the radio on as you drive to work. Walk somewhere rather than driving and enjoy looking around and thanking God for his creation. Little moments that are available to us and as we escape the noise and steady our soul, we will begin to enjoy inner solitude. Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline, puts it this way. These tiny snatches of time are often lost to us. What a pity. 
They can and should be redeemed. They are times for inner quiet, for reorientating our lives like a compass needle. They are little moments that help us be genuinely present where we are. Secondly, make it a a priority in your diary. Try and find a point in every day when you can find a quiet spot and give yourself a few moments to spend time with God. Start, if you've never done that before, just start with five minutes this week. Spend the first minute in silence. Open your Bible and read for two minutes if you're able to read. If you can't read, there's some great apps, CDs you can listen to. And then spend two minutes in prayer. As you develop this, increase that time. If you already do that, do 10 minutes or 20 or 30. And be gracious in the season you're in. You might be a single parent who struggles to find a moment of quiet in your day. There is grace. God knows the season we are in, but wherever we are at right now, start somewhere. Find special places. Now, we don't need to get all spiritual about this, but find places that you can withdraw from the world. This might be a nice retreat cabin in the middle of the woods. If you're able to, happy days. It might be a holiday, but you know what? It might be a cupboard under your stairs. Make sure no one can lock it from behind. But Find special places that you can hear from God, where you can withdraw from the noise. Create a daily habit. Create a habit. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to create habits that we can seek God. Find spaces where you can just go and relax in the goodness of God. If you can and you're able, then throughout the year, find times. Sue is much more disciplined than I am. She finds times in those days where she can just go. I don't know how often you do it, Sue, but you know, at least once a term, I know that Sue's not around because she's off on retreat. She goes and spends some time just reflecting and comes back refreshed and refocused. If you're able to do that, find those times. That might, not, that might just be an evening every few months where you're just going to reflect on where you're at, what God's done in the last few months, but also what he's calling you to next. But find time. And finally, learn to speak less. As a general rule, actually, I found in my life, the more I speak, the more I sin. I don't know if that's true of you. Maybe that's just me. The more I speak, the more I sin. We can practice silence even when we're with others. Learn to listen and give people your full attention. Focus on what they're saying. Don't be quick to jump in with what you think or your opinion what the person should do, but give people your full attention and learn to ask good questions. Let's discipline ourselves so that our words are few and full. Let's be known for people who speak only when we have something to say. In a world of noise where everyone wants their voice, that's a powerful testimony that we trust God. You know, we all come from different backgrounds and different stages. As we gather in our growth groups this week, as we talk about what it would mean to embrace silence and solitude, our job with each other as a body is to create safe places where we can learn what it is to follow Jesus. This is not about performance, this is about practice. Remember that these disciplines help us position ourselves to encounter God. The aim is not to be really good at silence. The aim is not to be really good at solitude, it's to be more like Jesus. And in our groups, as we gather, let's encourage one another, no matter where you're at, so we're able to see each other changed by Jesus. 
Because as we spend time with Jesus, he changes us. As we realize that, just as John shared this morning about the grace of God, when we realize, oh, I have made a mess of my life, yet because of Jesus, I have experienced grace. As we read in those words, of beautiful words from Ephesians that John read out, oh, my word, Jesus' grace is poured into my life. When we realize that, we want to change. Not because he's demanding it, but because it's our response. It's our worshiping response to say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I want to be more like you. And as we spend time with Jesus, as he changes us, we realize afresh the grace that he's poured into our lives. We say, wow, Jesus, that you would love me. I want you to change me. And then when we return from silence and solitude, we return into our everyday situations changed by Jesus. The fruit of silence and solitude is increased sensitivity to God's voice and a new compassion for others. It's not about getting away and becoming uh, sort of a, a recluse. It's not about spending time in silence so you can be, you know, feel super spiritual. No, you spend time with Jesus so he changes you and when you go back into your situation, you have a new compassion for the people that God loves. Thomas Merton, he, a theologian, he puts it this way. It is in deep solitude that I find gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. Silence and solitude teach me to love my brothers for what they are, not for what they say. It is in silence and solitude that we receive the heart of God and then we get to share it with those around us. That is the invitation of this discipline. And the final part of the, the Richard Foster's writing on it, he says this, don't you feel a tug, a yearning to sink down into silence and solitude of God? Don't you long for something more? Doesn't every breath crave a deeper, fuller exposure to his presence? It is the disciplines of silence and solitude which will open up the door. You are welcome to come in and to listen to God's speech in his wondrous, terrible, gentle, loving, all-embracing silence. As the band return, I wonder, I wonder how noisy our lives are. As we live in this a whole culture of noise, whether it's the people around us, whether it is our phones, whether it's just the life that we've created, which we can't, you know, we walk in, we turn on the TV. We have the radio on. We, we fear this silence. Jesus invites us to know him, to experience intimacy. As we withdraw, as we spend time in silence, as we spend time in solitude, we have this invitation to know Jesus afresh, to draw in to him and to hear him speak. This isn't something that's heavy. This is a wonderful invitation. I'm going to hand over to Sue as she leads us in our response.